Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. How you guys doing this morning? Woo! Fantastic, man. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. My name's Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at OneChurch.tv. Uh, our mission is to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited, so excited that you're here today as we kick off a new teaching series here at OneChurch.tv. And it all centers around a baseball theme. Uh, we entitled this series, Bottom of the Ninth. And uh, I love the whole idea of this series because this, uh, this series really does revolve around the whole idea of what's here up on the screen right here. And it's a question that I think all of us have asked, and it's this question. Have you ever felt behind? Have you ever felt behind? Let me see if you, any, anywhere. Have you ever felt behind in life? I, I know I have. Um, for some of you, you know, I, I kind of like do my life with to-do lists. And um, uh, as soon as the services is over on Sunday, I'm a, I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, I'm already thinking about next Sunday, and Monday I get at the church office at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I start doing my to-do list, got to do this, 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 and uh, I live my life by a to-do list. And some of you, you live your life by to-do list too. And when you get behind on those to-do lists, it just feels kind of suffocating. And it just, it just, it's so emotionally draining. And how many of y'all, you would say, uh, you know, I- I've never been behind on a to-do list. Anybody that we don't like here at OneChurch.tv? Anyone? So here's the thing. If you've never felt behind in a, in a, on a in your to-do list, we don't like you, but Jesus loves you. So, um, and you're still welcome. But here's what I know about all of us. All of us have felt behind it, from one time or another. We just do. In fact, you can take the whole to-do list out of it and drop in finances. I mean, I, I, all of us, we could probably say, you know, there's been a time in my life I've gotten behind on finances. I've gotten behind on paying bills. I've just done the minimum payment. I've gotten behind on paying mortgage, whatever it is. And when you get behind financially, it's just like, what do you do? Or maybe you've gotten behind relationally. Maybe there was a time where, you know, you were dating and you got married and you said, I do, and you did, and it's done. And you're like single, single again, and you never would have guessed that you would be at this season, this stage of your life, and you feel behind. Maybe you just feel behind career-wise. And you thought, you know what, I thought when I, in my late 20s, my early 30s, I would have a more secure job, I would be farther going up the ladder, my rank would be higher, whatever that is. We just, we get behind relationally, emotionally, and we just feel like, I just, I feel like I'm suffocating. And the, the question that we're looking at through this entire series is, have you ever felt behind? And I think all of us, if we were to be really real with one another, and I know that can be a stretch in church being real, but if we can just drop our pretense, all of us have felt behind at one time or another. I think that's normal. I think for each and every one of us, we have these areas in your life that we do really good at. And this, we have these areas in life that we're just, we're, we're really challenged at. And, and somewhere in the middle, we have this tension that we feel, and we feel like we're behind, and an emotion begins to surface. And here's the emotion that begins to surface. It's this right here. We start feeling down and out. We start feeling down and out. You don't have to raise your hand. But how many of us, we've been there, right? We've been here. It's just like, what do you do when you get so far behind, you just want to throw up your hands and give up? 
give up on a relationship, give up on finances, maybe even give up on life. Man, that bottom of the ninth is when it comes and, and there's something really, really significant that can happen about a bottom of the ninth moment. Because one of the things I love about baseball is baseball isn't ruled by a clock. Baseball is so much more hopeful than that. Uh, when you have a bottom of the ninth moment in baseball, it's where you're either behind or you're tied, and at some point in the game, you got behind. You didn't get ahead. At some point, you weren't planning on it. You thought you would be farther along than you are, and, and, and it's this important quality about a bottom of the ninth when it comes to baseball, and it simply says this, that you may be down, but you're not out. It may be the bottom of the ninth, there might be two outs, but you're not down. You're not down. You may be down, but you're not out. Let me say it a different way. If you're not dead, then God's not done. You're here today, and some of you, you walked in here, and you're like, I'm done. I feel like this is a hopeless situation. This situation, it's at the bottom of the night. There is, but let me tell you, because you're here today, because you're still breathing, here's what I know about our Heavenly Father, that if you're not dead, then God's not done, that you may be down, but you are never out. And this isn't true just for baseball. It's true for life. So as we kind of dig into this metaphor, because that's what it is, I want to, instead of tell you a story, I want to show you a story. Uh, some of you, you're thinking you're down out financially, relationally, but I want to show you a story from the 1992 National League Championships. In 1992, the National League Championships, this game, Game 7, it's against the Atlanta Braves and the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's at the bottom of the ninth. The Pirates are up two to one. It's two outs, bottom of the ninth, and this game is going to decide who gets to go to the World Series. Who gets to go to the World Series? And up to the plate steps this little-known Atlanta Braves guy by the name of Francisco Cabrera. Let's watch it. Francisco Cabrera comes to the plate to bat for the pitcher. He hacked at the 2-0, now the 2-1. Line drive and a base hit! Just as the score of the tying run, Bream to the plate, and he is safe! Safe at the plate! The Braves go to the World Series! The unlikeliest of heroes wins the National League Championship Series for the Atlanta Braves. Francisco Cabrera, and Atlanta pulls out Game 7 with three runs in the bottom of the ninth inning. Now, if you're a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, you picked the wrong day to come to church, haven't you? And now, if you're a Braves fan, good to go. Now, here's, here's what a lot of Atlanta Braves fans really forget about this game. Because when you look at that, it's like, oh, yes, the Braves win. The Braves win. But let me give you the broader context of that. They forget the context because the Braves were actually up three games to one in this series. And all they had to do was win one more against uh, the, 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 the Pirates, and, and, and it would be done, and they would go to the World Series. They lost game five, the Braves lost game six, and now they're at game seven, and all the momentum that the Braves had has now turned against them. And it's on the side of the Pittsburgh Pirates. They come to game seven in Atlanta, and the Pirates jump out ahead to a two-to-nothing lead. 
They go to the bottom of the ninth, and get this, some of the Braves fans had already begun to leave the stadium. Why? Because the Braves fans have been to this point before, this choke point, right? And so it comes up, the Braves get a run, they now, they now have two outs, and they have two runners, one on second, Sid and one on third. And what's so interesting, that it's time for the pitcher to get up to bat. And the manager, Bobby Cox, says, you know, we're going to do a pinch hitter here. And he looks down his bench and he picks a little known guy by the name of Francisco Cabrera. Now let me give you some history on 1992 season, 1992 seasons of Francisco Cabrera. Francisco Cabrera had, had batted the entire season all of just ten times. And out of those ten times, he had only gotten three hits. Three hits. In fact, he had batted one time in this series and did not get a hit against the pitcher he's now facing, Stan Belinda. So in essence, what's happened with Francisco Cabrera, he's only been to bat 11 times, and he's failed most of the time. Some of you, that's how you feel right now. You feel like failures. Failures. But what Francisco Cabrera did is he did not let he did not let his past failures as a baseball player that he had failed most of the time as a hitter he didn't let the enormity of the situation to define him. You know what Francisco Cabrera did? He picked up the bat and he got up to the plate and he said, "Coach, again, I can do this. I can do this." And he picked up the bat and he swung. He swung. And what's so interesting about that, what's so interesting about that is that it would have been easy for him to say, you know what, I'm a failure. I'm a failure 70% of the time. A good friend of mine, Chris, uh, uh, he actually, uh, he, he coaches and head of the Little League uh, here in Clarksville. Uh, he, he was backstage just with me. He says, you know what, the average person, if he gets a hit three out of ten times, I mean, that's 300 uh, th- you get a 300 RBI, right? He says, that, that's, world, that's world fame stuff. I mean, that, that is like amazing stuff right there. But yet for you and I, I mean, imagine get, on your math test getting three out of ten right and convincing your teacher, hey, you need to know I'm big stuff, right? We're not because we feel like failures. But let me tell you what Francisco Cabrera didn't do. He did not allow his past failures to define him. And he did not let the enormity of the situation to define him. In fact, that's what I want us to look at today. He, with all of that, he stepped to the plate and he says, you know what, I still think I can do this. I still think I can get a hit. I still think this can happen. And and I wonder how many people walked in here today and you feel like, you know what, I'm done. I've got no hope. I've got no way of digging out of this mess. Maybe that you started digging, or maybe that just something that just life handed you. And you're too far behind in your finances. You're too far behind with your kids. You're too far behind with your career. And one thing I want you to hear today is this. If you are not dead, then God is not done. You are not out yet. So here's where we're going in this series. We want you to be here all four weeks because each one of these weeks are going to be building up on one another. But here's where we're going. This is what it says. Don't let your past failures or your current reality define you. Can we say that out loud? Don't let your past or your current define you. 
So if, we're not, if we shouldn't let our past define us, or our present define us, how should we define us? Here it is. Let God define you. Let God define you. And here's why this is so important when it relates to God and your Heavenly Father in the bottom of the ninth. Because when it comes to bottom of the ninth, your Heavenly Father specializes in bottom of the ninth moments. Your Heavenly Father specializes. We're going to clap. Let's go give him a golf clap. Let's go for it. Your Heavenly Father specializes in turning around people's finances. Your Heavenly Father specializes in rallying marriages together. You're not done because you're not dead. God is not done because you are not dead. He specializes in these bottom of the ninth moments when all the, the, the deck is stacked against you and you feel like you've got no outs. God can show up. But here's what, I, here's what I want you to understand. If you want to experience a turnaround in your bottom of the ninth moment, here's one thing you have to have. You and I have to have hope. We have to have hope. If you don't have this, it's going to be very difficult for you to have a bottom of the ninth turnaround because for some of you, here's what I know. You came in to this church that meets in a school today with none of this. You came in today and you had no hope because you got a phone call about a particular situation. You got a phone call and you had to meet with a doctor this past week and you heard the prognosis. You were served papers this week. You had children taken out of your home. Your family, it feels like it's busting up at the seams. There's a career challenge. There's a financial challenge. There are so many challenges. And it's easy not to have hope. But here's where we're going in this series. And here's where we're going today. We believe that because what we're going to look at today, you can walk out of here today with this, with hope no matter what might be going on in your present circumstances. And the reason why I can say this is because, is because I want to point to you to the most greatest credible source of hope that you and I can have. I want to point to you to the biggest credible source of hope, the biggest credible source of hope of bringing possibility out of your impossibility. We're going to look at a statement made by... A man by the name of Jesus, we believe, is the most biggest credible source of hope that any of us have. And what I want us to do is we look at this conversation that Jesus has with an individual. We're going to lift out four words out of this that is going to give us hope. That's going to remind us that if you're not dead, then God's not done. In this conversation, Jesus says a sentence, and as we lift out these four words from this sentence, uh, we're just, I want you to lean into these four words because they can change your life. They can be the four words that can change whether or not the game is over or there's a rallying point. And then we're going to end, and I'm going to give you three challenges today. The first challenge is going to be easy and pretty simple. The second one is going to be easy and really simple. And the third is going to be simple, but it's going to be a little bit challenging. But that's where we're going to go today. So let me give you the context of where this conversation happens with Jesus. The conversation happens, um, uh, Jesus is walking along with his disciples, 
and a young man shows up to him, and this young man happens to be very, very wealthy, and this man asks a question. They begin to have this, conver- this conversation, and this wealthy young man asks Jesus a question. It was simply this, teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? What must I do to go to heaven? That's a pretty good question, I would say, right? In fact, some of you have probably asked that question before as well. So this question, what must I do to gain eternal life? And they start talking. They start conversing, Jesus and this rich young man. And Jesus starts bringing up the Ten Commandments. And, and, and the rich young really says, oh, yeah, I've done that one. Check, 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 check. I, I got them. I'm good to go. In essence, the young man says, okay, if God is here, then I am right here. I just need to know what, what's that little bit of information that I need so that it can put me over the top. And here's what's so challenging about having conversations with Jesus, is Jesus knows what people are thinking, right? So as this guy's going, here's God, and I'm right here, Jesus is like, oh, I, I see what's going on, and I know what you're thinking, and I know what your reality is. Because Jesus could read minds and understand hearts. So Jesus makes a statement to this rich young ruler. He says this, okay, I got an idea. Why don't you take all of your possessions, all of your money, give it away, sell your possessions to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. What about that? To which the Bible says this rich young man walked away very, very sad. Why? Because he had a lot of wealth. And then in this moment, Jesus says something that's really remarkable, really brilliant. He brings everybody in and everybody leans in and he makes this statement, not just to the people that he's talking to in the room, but the people to you and I 2,000 years later. And this, as this rich young man slips away, this is what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he continues, next verse. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, it's really easy to look at this sentence and think that Jesus is just making a commentary on wealth. That Jesus is just making a commentary on having a lot of money. But I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here at all. I think it's safe to say, yes, that the glitter of this world can take us away from the substantial things that really matter in life. But that's not where Jesus is going with this statement. And the reason why I don't think this is what Jesus is really coming on about money is because of what the next verse says. The next verse not only gives us the context of what Jesus is saying, it gives us the context for the culture in which Jesus spoke to. And Jesus says this to his disciples, men who have no money, no means, and they reacted this way. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly what? astonished. Astonished as in perplexed. Astonished as in confused. Astonished as in greatly concerned. And here's why. Because in that day and in that time, someone, if someone was rich or someone was wealthy, there was this assumption that the reason that they were wealthy, that the reason that they were rich, is they had God's favor upon them. That they had God's blessings upon them. So if you were wealthy, That means that somehow you had a closer connection to God. And yet what Jesus is saying here is, no, 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 no. It's actually easier 
for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven, which allows and forces the disciples to ask this question. And here's the question that he's asked. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they asked, who then can be saved? What was the question? Who then can be saved? Now, don't miss this. This is another example of why Jesus is so brilliant. You see the question right here, who then can be saved? This is the question the rich young ruler asked at the very beginning, right? Hey, how do I get to heaven? Who can be saved? Jesus hears the question and goes, you know what? That's not only a question for you, rich young ruler. That's a question for all of the disciples. That's a question for everybody who's hearing this, who's in earshot of me. That's a question that all of us are going to need to ask who live from this point forward. In fact, Matthew, listen, Matthew, quit goofing off, start writing this down. People are going to want to know how we answer this question. And here's the answer from Jesus' perspective. Who then, go back if you would, who then can be saved? The answer is simply this, no one. Left to your own devices, left to your own works, left to your own means, absolutely no one. Your heavenly father is here. It's not that your heavenly father's here and you're right here. No, no, no. Your heavenly father is... Wait a minute, let me get a little... Right? He is so far above. It's like, it's the bottom of the ninth... And it's gazillion to zero. I mean, it's impossible. It's the bottom of the knife, and you're down a gazillion runs. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care how many times you attend Mass. I don't care who you pray to. I don't care how many times you go to confession, how many times you go to Bible study. All that stuff is great. But at the end of the day... Left to your own devices, you cannot make your way to God. It is hopeless. So what Jesus says, he looks at the disciples, and that's what he says. He says this. Jesus looked at them and said, with who? With man, this is, it's, it's, it, you could do it possibly. Is that what he says? No, no. With man, it is impossible. You cannot do it. You can't do it. Now, I know many of you, you have a great impossibility facing you right now. It's an impossibility with your finances. It's an impossibility with your relationship, with your children, with your wife, with your career. And I, 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 want, I want to fast forward and kind of show you kind of where we're going with this, but I just want you to understand, I'm not trying to make light of your impossibility right now. But know this, the greatest impossibility that you, that's currently facing you is not the greatest impossibility that has ever faced you. You're, the thing that you feel like is breathing down your neck, that, that impossibility that is just, oh my gosh, it is not the greatest impossibility that you have ever faced. Because the greatest impossibility that has ever faced you and me is that you and I we are hopelessly separated from a holy God, and there's nothing that you and I can do about it. Nothing. We can't do anything on our own. So what do we do? Well, let me give you some perspective of what Jesus is taking us here. And to do that, let me give you an example from my own life. You know, I grew up here in Clarksville. 
and um, I played soccer. Um, I, I, I played, uh, I tried out for Little League, and it was a horrific, scarring moment for me. If you haven't heard that story, you're going to have to go back and listen to some sermons because I'm not telling it here. Um, uh, but I, I, I played church softball a lot. I was, I was pretty good. I like, I'm pretty good at catching, not so good at running. Um, but it was, just, it was just having a good time, having fun, right? And uh, I, I am so old that this happened like when you were behind in a game, you just were behind. Anybody remember those days? Anyone? Like, uh, <laughs> We would play soccer, and it would be like 20 to 1, and I was on the team that had one, right? And there wasn't, you know, like, all right, let's call it. Nay, nay, right? You just went on and you played, and you just got the stuffing kicked out of you, right? Not everybody got a trophy at the end, and we're all winners, you know, just saying that. Uh, we, left the, we left the field like this. Um, it was not good. Not good at all. But you know what? Recently, in fairly recent times, they've come up with something, and it's called the mercy rule. Anybody ever heard this? Some of you, if you're a parent, if, if your kids are involved in, in uh, any type of sports, you know this. Well, the mercy rule, here's how it's, it, it, this is kind of what it is. When you have, n- <laughs> the mercy rule is when at some point somebody's going to intervene. At some point, when the game is completely gone and there is no hope, we're going to intervene and we're going to shut her down, right? This is done. In fact, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're playing, you know, baseball with your tights, you know, if you're down by 11 runs and it's, you know, past the fourth inning, it's done. Right, uh, I know in basketball and it differs in different regions and stuff like that. But if you're down thirty points, they just let the uh, the, the clock keep on running. They just let the clock keep on running because <laughs> the mercy rule is when you have no hope, you are going to lose. Let's get this over with as quickly as possible. Right now, the reason why I bring up the mercy rule is that your heavenly Father has a version of the mercy rule as well. His version of the mercy rule is that you and I were hopelessly separated from God. The Bible teaches us that all have sinned and all fall short of his standard. So here's God's version of the mercy rule. Let me tell it to you. For God so loved you. For God so loved you, sir. For God so loved you, madam. For God so loved you, for God so loved you, and for God so loved me. For God so loved us that he gave his one and only son. That if we would believe in him, we wouldn't perish. But we, you and I, can experience everlasting life. Don't miss that. That's the answer to the rich young man's question. That's the answer to the disciples' question. Who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, it is what? Impossible. But don't miss this. With man, this is impossible. But with God. That word, with God, is the same word, Emmanuel. One of Jesus' names. With Jesus, all things are 
possible. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Say it with me. With God, all things are possible. So God, your heavenly Father, sends Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus lives a perfect life. He models, he is God, he teaches, he's God in the flesh, he does some miracles, and after three years of incredible ministry, he's arrested on trumped-up charges, he's convicted, he's beaten, he's slapped, he's kicked, he's mocked, they take fistfuls of his beard and they tear it out, he's spit upon, he's flogged, scourged, whipped, and eventually nailed to a cross, and there he suffocates to death. He's ripped down from that cross, He's thrown into a borrowed tomb like a scoundrel. And that big rock is rolled over the entrance of the tomb. And the story of Jesus is over. It was a good run. It was a good try. But it's the bottom of the ninth and we're down a gazillion runs. And there's no way to make our way to God. We can't jump high enough. We can't get enough runs. We can't get the score up high enough. And our only hope has been killed. It's the bottom of the ninth. Two outs, strike one. Then Saturday, nothing happens. There is no comeback. There's no people with penance rallying around the tomb going, yeah, yeah, he's going to happen, it's going to happen. No one is anywhere around there. They don't think anything is going to happen. And here's what everybody thought. This Jesus, man, he was a good guy. It was, he gave it a good try. He tried to make those bridges to God, but it's over. In fact, he even said, it is finished. It's done. The bottom of the ninth, two outs, strike two. It's over. You ever felt that way? I have. Felt like that I am just so far behind that I can never get ahead of the ball. I'm so far behind. You can never, ever get out in front. Here's what you need to understand about your Heavenly Father. If you and I have ever felt that far behind and there there is no hope, that nothing is over when it comes to God. Nothing. God never ran out of time. Why? Because he holds eternity in his hand. It doesn't matter what you're facing right now. It doesn't matter the greatest impossibility that you are facing. (laughs) Your greatest impossibility that you have ever faced. Eternity separated from God has been made possible. Because what happened is on Sunday, that stone rolled away. And Jesus got up out of the grave. And because he is alive, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Because Jesus is alive, and because you're still alive, if you ain't dead, God ain't done, your hopeless situation is not hopeless any longer. Because Jesus, he is alive. And with God, all things are possible. If if it's just you, chalk it up. Can't do it. Can't do it. But when you put God in the mix, and some of you, that's the reason you're here today. You've kind of tried doing life on your own. And it's just kind of wound up as impossible, 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 impossible. I'm here to encourage you today. 
Coming to church just isn't the fix. You just showing up and going to confession or attending mass isn't the fix. Your fix is to come alongside Jesus and allow Jesus to come alongside you and do you, for you to believe in him because for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that if you would believe in him, your impossibility becomes possible. It can turn around in that rallying point and it can happen in a moment. It can happen in a moment. So, Here's what I'm going to do, is when you leave today, you are going to get a little card that looks like this. It didn't cost us much to, to print these, but we, we wanted to print these because we want to put this in your hand, because I want to remind you of these four words. Anything is possible, people. Anything is possible, people. Anything is possible, people. On the back of this card, Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He's saying, guys, anything is possible, people. With God, anything is possible. Yes, I know you may be down. Yes, I know it may be difficult right now. I know it may be challenging. I know it might even seem impossible. But if Jesus is alive, anything is possible. So we need to become anything is possible type of people. Now, let me ask you, especially those who've been following Jesus for a while, is that how you pray? Is that how you pray? Are you praying safe prayers? Are, are you dreaming big dreams of God? Are you going, eh, you know, I, I know God used to do miracles, but I ain't, seen, I ain't never seen one. I know God used to do some amazing things in people's lives, but I've never experienced that. Are we anything is possible type of people? Well, let me tell you, if Jesus is alive, if Jesus is alive and I believe that he is, we can be anything is possible type of people. We need to become people like this. Anything is possible people. You know, I, I'm reminded as our staff and our volunteers, one of the things that we tell our amazing team here at OneChurch.tv is, you know what? Don't be afraid of failure. Don't be afraid of failure. Saul Bellow, the Nobel Peace Prize, used to say this, that everybody is failures, at least the best of us are. So it's this whole idea of not being afraid of failure. Of, yes, we've got to be good stewards of God's money, and we've got to figure out to be good stewards of God's resources, but if God plants a vision on our hearts, then we are to do it. We ought to, we ought to swing for the fences. We ought to do that. Let me tell you of how that happened kind of practically not too long ago. Uh, we're, um, you know, we were at the movie theater. Uh, we started September 9th of 2007. And we started in the movie theater very intentionally because we know that people who don't go to church go to movies. In fact, even, get this, sh don't tell anybody, people who go to church, they go to movies too, right? So I remember growing up at church, you know, if you went to like anything past G, you know, you, people, you know, pointed at you. But we, you, everybody knows that we do it, right? I mean, come on. We just we go to those movies too. So here, here's what I know. 88% of people in Clarksville, they didn't go to church anywhere. That's 125,274 people here in this town that do not go to church. So when we started One Church back in the day, back September 9th when we launched it, we weren't trying to take from other churches. There's a lot of churches that do that. Merry Christmas to them. They can do that. But let me tell you what we're called to do. We're not called to steal the 12% from them. 
we're to call and reach the 88%. And, and, and that's very, very important to us because those are the people that Jesus died for. It's crazy how churches, we will get all up in an uproar and get our drawers in a wide Well, That ch- person went to that church or that person went to that church. Great, let them go. If they know Jesus, I believe they're going to heaven. But 88% of people in Clarksville aren't going to church anywhere. So let's don't fight over the 12%. Let's go out and reach the 88%. Now guess what? That means we're going to have to be inconvenienced. That means us as Christ followers, we're going to have to actually get outside of our Christian bubbles. And we got to go and we got to talk to people. And let me tell you, what made that easy nine years ago? Hey, listen, when you want to come to church with me, we meet in a movie theater. And afterwards, you want to go watch Finding Dory? Yes, I do. Right? I mean, I ain't even got to pray about that, right? Well, yeah, come on, let's do that. And you know what? I'm encouraging some of you to do that. You know, you can do, you can invite people to the movie theater and then you say, hey, listen, I'll even buy you a movie ticket. They will show up, I promise. They will. So we, we did that. And for a year, we were at the movie theater. And guess what? We started growing, growing, growing to where we could not fit. We went from one service to two services. And we couldn't go from two services to three services. We were in the largest theater there. So what was our option? At that point, there wasn't any technology around that allowed us to take, you know, what we were doing on, in this one theater and go to theater two. We just couldn't do it. It was 2007. It was, and there wasn't any streaming. There wasn't anything like that. So we only had one choice. We left the movie theater and we came here. And when we did, we had a lot more seats, but we have a whole lot less parking. So, well, here's what's so amazing. This is what's so cool. We're 2009, we're doing church, and we were wanting to reach Exit 1 people, but what we found out, you know who lives at Exit 1? A whole lot of Army people. So, so 85% of our church is military now, right? Pastor ain't never served in the military. I'm like, I, I'm like John Candy on stripes. You know, I'm ox. You know, they're like, you know, are we going to put Chris in? No, we're going to let him sit back, right? Uh, He's going to be on the bench, right? So I'm, uh, you know, I'm talking to a bunch of, like, fifth group dudes and people that can, like, kill me with their pinky, right? And, um, and, and you know, they're talking about all, they're throwing all these lingos, PCS and FOB, and I'm like, okay. Did somebody explain this? In fact, Mike Byer, who was playing mandolin today, he, he had a, a book <laughs> that his uh, that they give I guess to the wives that had listed all the little acronyms with a FOB and PCS and he gave that to me. Uh, it was the wives manual to like all this and I'm like thank you. <laughs> I'm still not kissing you. Anyway, <laughs> but you know what? What happened over the years is we realized you know what? A lot of our men and women, there would be a spouse here and there would be a spouse in Iraq, and people would start showing up to one church whose spouse was downrange. And, and one of the things we, we would hear from the spouse is, I'm kind of worried because, you know, in six months, my spouse is coming back, and I hope they like this church. And I hope, you know, I think, I think they will, but they just don't know you. They don't know the church. They don't know the feel. So we had this harebrained idea. Okay, what if? What if we dropped a wad of cash and we invested in doing some things differently around here and we do cameras and we did our, our website was exitonechurch.org. We scrapped that because we realized we may not be at exit one all the time. So we decided to go to onechurch.tv and everybody goes, what's the TV about? 
Well, the TV is we spent thousands of dollars getting used equipment because we couldn't afford the new one. The new, you know, we, we had a, uh, there was a wedding uh, videographer that was going out of business and we purchased his equipment and we started videoing our services so that people who were downrange could experience what their family was experiencing here. And what was crazy in Iraq where a lot of the, the, the servicemen and women had good internet, what happened is they would watch these videos and then we had small group questions we provide free online and small groups were forming there in Iraq when Afghanistan, when they moved to that phase, Internet wasn't as good that much, and uh, it was a struggle. And then, and, but we spent thousands of dollars and changed literally the name of our church and our website address because we had this whole idea, you know what, I don't know if it's going to work, but we want to be anything is possible type of people. And if these are who the people who God is calling us to reach here in this area, we want to bust open our, our foyer, and we want people to be able to kind of creep in on what we're doing on Sunday morning. Anybody ever creeped anybody on Facebook? Tell the truth, shame the devil. Come on. Y'all are going, I would never do that, Pastor. Some of y'all are creepers, right? We we understand this. We we know that when you invite somebody to church, they're like, now, is that the type of church that, like, you know, does the whole snake thing? Is that not? No. We do a snake thing. I am am gone. I'm I'm outrunning all of y'all, okay? So anyway, my point is this. They don't know what you're inviting them to. So we put this stuff out online. We have an app that they can download for free. Some of you are watching right now live from the country of Jordan, Turkey, from Sweden, from Germany, Guten Tag, right? I mean, I mean, we got people watching from all over the world, and, and it's not because we had this, we didn't know if it was going to work. But we wanted to become anything as possible type of people. And that, I'm telling you, what's so cool about now going back to the movie theater is if we outgrow one theater, we just live stream it, which is what we're doing right now, into the next theater. Solved. Isn't that cool? Come on. That's cool. That is so cool. But that technology did not exist nine years ago. And if it did, we couldn't afford it. We had never heard of it, right? So this whole idea. So what I'm asking you to do, and I'm going to just kind of end with what Paul, how he says it in this. Because I think if Jesus is alive, anything is possible. This is how Paul responded. He says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, where does he live? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. In you. You see, the same God that came up out of the grave, who was nailed on the cross, and everybody said, he's done, he was not done. It's impossible, no, no. It is a possible, it's not just a possibility, it's not just a probability, it's a show enough. And some of you, you need to hear today that you're facing that impossible situation right now, that you think, ah, maybe God can make it probable. No, sir. Nay, nay. It is show enough. Because we serve a show enough God that he can take impossible situations and flip it, convolute it, spin it upside down, and now, hey, hey, it's a done deal. That's what I'm saying. So what do you do with this? As we close, what do you do with the information that I've given you today? I'm going to give you three challenges. Three challenges. And I'm going to be honest with you. Each one of these challenges, the first one, it's simple and it's easy. You can do it. The second one, simple, easy. The third one, (laughs) it can be a little difficult. But I think you guys can do it. Let's start with the first one. 
The first one is I am challenging you. I want you to step up to the plate and I want you to write down on a piece of paper an area of life that you feel behind in. I want you, before tonight is over, before your head hits the pillow, to step up to the plate. And I want you to get out a piece of paper, a journal entry, something, and I want you to write down an area of your life that you feel behind in. That's easy. All of us can do that. And all of us, I know all of us, there's something, there's something in our lives that we're like, it's like 22 to 2, and I'm on the losing side. And that may be finances. I know we have some real needs here financially. For some of you, it's relationships. It may be a friendship that's gone south. Others, it may be a marriage that has gone south. And you thought that person would stay in it, but they cheated on you and broke your heart. You don't know what to do. You feel behind. For others of you, it's children. I think sometimes God allows us to have children so that we can all stay humble. And you may have a child in your life that, man, they've just done some crazy wackadoo things. That you're like, I, tr- I didn't teach them that. I didn't, I've raised them better than that. And you just feel behind. Before your head hits the pillow tonight, I'm challenging you. It's a, if it's a career, if it's a business decision that you need to make soon, health decision, I want you to write that down. And then, number two, my second easy and simple challenge is I just want you to show up next week. I want you to show up next week and I want you to bring that piece of paper with you. I want you to have it tucked in your shirt pocket or in your purse. I just want you to show up next week and for the next two weeks after that. This is four weeks long. Some of you are like, but you know, I'm like, I go to church once a month. Okay, that's good. My challenge is for the next four weeks, you show up because here's what I know. You're either in a bottom of the ninth or not right now or you will be. You will be. Something's going to happen. I need you to show up. I want you to bring that piece of paper that you wrote, that's something you're behind in. Here's the third thing I'm going to challenge you to do, and this is going to be difficult for some of you. I'm going to challenge some of you today to be able to, in here, to acknowledge, to acknowledge that you are in a bottom of the ninth right now. Because some of you, that's exactly where you're at. Because you got the phone call, you got the paper served, it's in your business, it's in your career, and today... If you were to be really honest, and I know honesty is not a, a big thing with church people because we kind of put on our plastic masks and we smile, but inside we're just breaking. But if you and I could just be honest and say, Chris, I am at the end of my rope. I am at the bottom of the ninth. I feel like it's two outs, and I'm getting ready to swing, and I feel like I'm going to fail. And if God doesn't show up soon, 
think I'm done. If that's you, I want you to know the biggest thing that we can do for you today is to pray for you. You know, so many times we as Christians, we can say, okay, when we hear something, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And and life happens and we can have the best intentions and we don't pray. We're not going to do that today. So what I'm going to ask you to do in a few seconds is I'm going to ask you that if you feel like you're in a bottom of the ninth moment, if you feel like you're in this crossroads, this pivot moment in your life, you don't have to walk away. I'm going to ask you just to stand up. And by standing up, here's what you're doing. By standing up, you're just saying, hey, you know what? I'm at my bottom of the ninth moment. And I need to know that God is near. I just want, I just would love to walk away today knowing that God has got this. That there's still hope that God can still turn this around. When you stand up, here's what I'm going to ask the people, the rest of us in the room to do. I'm going to ask you, even though you don't know them and it's awkward for you, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand and put it on their shoulder. And I just want you to pray silently for them. You don't have to have all the words and say it all the right way. But here's what I want you to pray. If God is alive, he's not done with your situation. Remind them that if God is alive, he is not done. If God's alive and you're not dead, then God ain't done. So right now, if you feel like you're at this juncture and you need some help, I'm just going to ask you to take some courage just to stand. And I know some of you are like, well, that means people are going to know that I'm not perfect. TV time out. They already know you're not perfect. You're here at church. None of us are perfect. All of us are really jacked up. Me so much, I had to preach this twice. Right? I'm having to preach it to myself. And then I get to go home and my wife gets to preach it to me. Right? So let's just let's just get that illusion that all of us are great, perfect people. I need help. Do you? If you feel like you're at the bottom of your ninth moment, I'm just asking you to stand up right now. Stand up. Thank you. Thank you for your courage, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being real in here. Here's what I'm going to ask you guys to do. For those who are still sitting, I want you to stand up. And I want you just to put your hand on their shoulder. I know you don't know them. But God knows their name. God knows them. And I just want you to pray silently to God. God, if you're alive, if they're not dead... God's not done. Let's pray. All of us in here. Lord, all of us are broken, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those who had the courage today to stand. Thank you for the courage it took to stand. And thank you for the fact that we are churches. And we are a church that, Lord, that we're not a museum for perfect people. But God, we're a hospital for people who need Jesus. Lord, that is every one of us in here. Lord, whatever they're facing, if it's a health thing, if it's a family thing, whatever it is, whatever fierce opportunities and fierce setbacks that they are facing, Lord, that we have a Father in heaven
who is good, who loves us, who sent his son Jesus and gave us the best mercy rule of all. That if we would just love him, we could have eternal life with him. In Jesus' name that we pray. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Before you leave, before you skirt out and grab your kids, I just want you to sing one more time with us. And know that your heavenly father, as Sam leads, as your heavenly father up in heaven, that you have a good, good father. Even though your circumstances aren't good right now, you have a good father who can intervene in your bottom of the ninth moments. Let's sing. say, I want you to be an anything as possible person. You guys are dismissed. And it's love so undeniable I can't 
Lord, me speak peace so unexplainable. I can't hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love. I am.